0: Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Fenton, founder of World Blue and the World Blue Academy, and welcome to the Freedom at Work podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think with a freedom centered mindset, thrive as a freedom centered leader, and finally, how to build a freedom centered culture for your team or workplace. This podcast is about answering one key question. How can you, as a leader, use freedom rather than fear to unleash the full potential of individuals, teams, and organizations in order to achieve breakthrough results and change the world for the better? If you want to explore the answers, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to part two of this podcast episode. Now, this might come as a shock to you, but I didn't invent organizational democracy. Democracy, and specifically organizational democracy, because for the purposes of this podcast, we're talking about organizations, has existed for centuries, as you know. Now, I won't go into a history lesson on democracy here. I'll cover that in a later podcast. But what I do want to say is this. What we are doing at World Blue, and I trust is one of our major contributions to our time and to the world, is clarifying what exactly democracy is so that leaders can implement it with more clarity, intentionality, and ease into their organizations, no matter the size, scope, industry, or geography. What do I mean when I say organizational democracy? Am I talking about voting? No CEO or the inmates running the asylum? If that's what you think organizational democracy is, then you're wrong. I can't tell you how many times I've been at some networking event or party or conference, and a leader has quietly and with a laugh sort of confessed to me, I don't believe in democracy, but I believe in benevolent dictatorship. So then I ask them, would you rather live in a democracy or a dictatorship? And after over 20 years of asking this question— I still have yet to have any leader tell me they want to live in a dictatorship. So why do most leaders run their organizations that way, however benignly they try to window dress it? Here's why. Because we still live in a world where something like, I don't know, 95% of the organizations we interact with each day are some version of the command and control organizational model. Command and control often starts in our families, and then we see it in the way we run our schools, and then it's perpetuated, often unconsciously, in our workplaces, because that's all we know. So we have to unlearn this old model and instead learn a new model of organizational design. And we can't just stumble into it. We can't hope our way into it. We can't wish our way into it. We gotta learn it, people. So what do I mean by organizational democracy? First, let me be clear. Organizational democracy is not voting. Voting is a way of making a decision. It's a decision-making method. It is not democracy in and of itself. There are many ways to make decisions, majority rule, consensus, consent-based decisions. You get the idea. But the singular action of voting is not democracy. Organizational democracy is a system, like your body is a system. So you have to know what makes up the system. And it's not a singular act like voting. Organizational democracy also doesn't mean that you don't have a leader, you do. In fact, you have an organization where every person knows how to lead, starting with leading themselves. You have an organization of leaders, not an organization of beaten into submission order takers. An organizational democracy doesn't mean that the organization is completely flat and without hierarchy. What it does mean is that there is an appropriate amount of hierarchy where needed, and that's usually quite minimal. So how do we define organizational democracy? Organizational democracy is a system, as I alluded to before, comprised of 10 principles. Why 10 principles? Because after a decade of research into democracy, we found that what actually creates a democratic system are these 10 principles. These 10 principles are all causal, meaning they are what caused democracy to happen. They are not the result of democracy. These principles have been studied and analyzed for almost two decades now by many academics and researchers of our work, all around the world, and they've all found the same thing. You have to have all 10 principles in place in order to truly have a democratic system. If you're missing even one principle, you may have a great place to work or a bit of a more enlightened organizational design, but you're still in the command and control camp. And when one or more of these principles is missing, the system is totally off balance. As a result, you get dysfunction like people feeling they are treated unfairly, you get anger, and you get more fear. That's why all 10 principles must be in operation in your organizational design to make it democratic. I'm sure by now I have you on the edge of your seat wondering what are the 10 principles of organizational democracy? Now let me tell you. Here they are. They are purpose and vision, dialogue and listening, transparency accountability, choice, individual and collective, fairness and dignity, integrity, decentralization, and reflection and evaluation. All 10 principles must be in place to have a truly democratic system. This isn't just a list of nice principles. These are the principles of democracy. And I can't emphasize this enough. All 10 have to be in place in the system for it to be labeled democratic. I remember years ago having a CEO tell me he picked his favorite few principles out and then implemented them. All I could think was, no! (laughs) All you get with that is enlightened dictatorship, but not a democratic system. While you have to have all 10 principles built into your organizational design to have the optimal framework for freedom, there are four principles that we've discovered through our research that are the main drivers of the system. Think of these principles as the canary in the mine shaft, so to speak. Depending on which way they are trending in your organization will determine if you're moving toward a more freedom-centered culture or toward a more fear-based workplace culture. The four principles are transparency, accountability, decentralization of power, and choice. Now, I'm sure you've also noticed that I use the word principles, not values. Values are what guide behaviors, and values can change. I truly believe every organization needs to have core values, and we do at World Blue. However, these are principles of organizational design, and not just any organizational design the number one proven design system in the world. And principles, unlike values, are unchanging. Think of it this way. You can build a house of any shape or size, one story or four stories, A-frame or dome home, but no matter what, there are universal architectural principles that must be adhered to in order for that home to be structurally sound. Principles are unchanging they point to your true north. What's great about a principle-based versus practice-based approach is that principles are scalable, whereas practices are not always scalable. What do I mean by this? Okay, let's take a look at the transparency principle, for example. The practice of transparency in a workplace of five people might look different than in a workplace of 5,000 people, but the principle remains the same. As you scale, the practices you have for transparency may change, but the principle will not. You just end up designing new practices that guarantee the principle is in place. Let me say it this way. As you scale your culture, as long as you have the principle in operation in some form, the practice may change, but your healthy workplace culture will still scale as long as the principle is there. Now, maybe you're listening to me and you're thinking, democracy, (laughs) really? But it's so messy and time-consuming and it doesn't really seem to work. I agree with you. If you're talking about what most people think democracy is, but it's not really democracy because most of the time, many of the principles of the system are completely missing. But when you have all the principles in place, you create a much more efficient, fast-moving, and adaptable organizational design, far superior to what command and control could ever be. Democracy succeeds. I remember years ago, I was asked to speak at the U.S. Naval Academy to a leadership conference for all the top students of the different U.S. military academies. And you know what they wanted me to talk about? Organizational democracy. I was a bit concerned because here I was, going into the place that literally invented command and control organizational design, and I wondered how my message would be received. After I gave my speech, I think if the young students in the audience had had tomatoes, they probably would have thrown them at me. They felt very loyal to the command and control system they were a part of. But even more interestingly— One by one, the different officers from the Naval Academy and the other military branches stood up and told the students they needed to listen to me because this was the future of the military. Much more democratic. So I left feeling pretty validated. (laughs) Organizational democracy only works if you implement all 10 principles. Otherwise, it just plain doesn't work, and it isn't even organizational democracy. It's just some wacky hybrid design. And here's the other fun fact about organizational democracy. The reason why so many workplace cultures fail is because leaders are throwing band-aids at their organizational systems rather than addressing the number one thing that truly impacts your culture, and that's its systems and processes also known as best practices. In fact, what we've found in our research, which has been third-party verified, is that there is a 75% correlation between the systems and processes or best practices you have in place and how freedom-centered your culture is or isn't. 75% people, that's a lot. Your culture is not built with perks or incentives, the latest technology, and not entirely on who you hire for the corner office. High-performing workplace cultures come down to the systems and processes you have in place being designed democratically. We've looked at mindset and organizational design. Now it's time to look at the third dimension of the Freedom at work system, which is leadership, and then we'll put it all together with a real live example. We now know that in order to build a high-performing workplace culture, you have to address the number one thing that kills culture which is fear. We've also identified the key starting place for culture transformation, and that's mindset, the mindset of top leadership and ultimately the mindset of everyone within the organization. And we've identified the optimal framework for design, and that's organizational democracy. Now we have to look at how we need to lead differently, and that's learning how to lead from a place of freedom rather than fear and control. We call this freedom-centered leadership. Most of the time, people think about leadership as telling others what to do or employing certain tactics or strategies to get others to do things. At its worst, this kind of approach to leadership can quickly devolve into manipulation, coercion, and outright abuse. In other words, a fear-driven approach. There are countless examples of fear-based leaders all over the world and in every industry. I'm sure just about every leader listening to this podcast has either worked with or for a fear-based leader. And perhaps you have even been, or are, a fear-based leader yourself. I can't tell you how many organizational leaders I've met through the years who love to use fear as a tool to control their employees. It's like it gives them a rush or a feeling of significance or a sense of control. But in the end, they lose. And everyone who works with them does as well. Because while fear may win the sprint, it won't win the marathon. What does win is a freedom-centered approach to leadership. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean leading in a way that creates the conditions of freedom for everyone so that people can truly thrive. How do you do this? Well, we've discovered there are three key attributes that make a freedom center leader. They are power, love, and ubuntu. Power isn't power over others. It's the ability to stay in our power, to self-manage, and self-govern effectively so that ultimately our actions empower others. Love is about self-worth or loving ourselves because when we do, we are secure in who we are and we aren't threatened by other people's power in light. In fact, we want to create environments where others can truly shine. And Ubuntu is a concept I learned many years ago when I went to South Africa. It means I can only be at my best if you are at your best, and you can only be at your best if I'm at my best, because we're one. To be at our best, we must know ourselves or have self-knowledge power, love, and ubuntu. All three of these attributes practice create a freedom-centered leader. How to practice these three vital attributes is what we also teach leaders how to do, and it has a deeply transformational impact on their life and on the lives of those they lead. When we decide to transform our organizational design to be more freedom-centered, yet fail to teach people how to lead in this new environment, it's like a bird with one wing flapping up and the other flapping down. All it does is spin in circles until it hits the ground. That's why leaders must focus on transforming the way they lead and helping their employees do the same if they're serious about setting them up for success within a new organizational design. And that is the freedom at work system. Mindset, organizational design, and leadership, all in operation from a place of freedom rather than fear. Does this make sense? I hope so. Now let's make it even more practical and take a look at a powerful example of freedom at work in a company and the bottom line results it achieves. Back in 1999, a healthcare company with a horrible name, Total Renal Care, was on the edge of bankruptcy, had sinking morale, and was under investigation by the SEC. The place was a mess, and top executives were jumping ship as quickly as possible. A major turnaround was needed, and so Kent Theory, or KT as he is known, was the high self worth leader hired to be the new CEO. KT came into the organization with an entirely different mindset. Rather than the slash-and-burn mindset of most quick-fix turnaround artists, KT wanted to build a thriving, democratic community. This freedom-centered, rather-than-fear-based mindset immediately took him down a very different path. He started to look for ways to build his employees up rather than tear them down. He started to look for opportunities to give more power to his employees rather than controlling them. And he started to look for ways to mitigate fear and drama rather than create even more of it. At first, as I've heard KT share on many occasions, he stood alone. People thought he was crazy. People didn't understand. People were skeptical. KT himself at times wondered if he was doing the right thing but he had the moral courage to persist, firmly believing that he wanted to build a company that was a democratic community first and a company second. He even called himself the mayor, not CEO, and their company was a village. This freedom-centered mindset then led him to look at more ways to redesign the organization to be less command and control and instead more democratic. He decentralized as much decision-making power out from corporate headquarters to the thousands of dialysis centers they had across the U.S. He held open and transparent town hall meetings and voice of the village calls, answering every question on the spot. If he didn't know the answer, he found it out and got back to everyone later. And he gave his fellow teammates, not employees as he calls them, the opportunity to vote on everything from the strategic direction of the company to their name. Thankfully, they voted to change their name from total renal care to DaVita, which means giving life. There were many other things that KT did to create a thriving democratic community, but he knew it wasn't just about him. He had to teach his fellow teammates how to also lead in order to sustain their new, healthier workplace culture. And so he created DaVita University. DaVita University, which has been recognized as a top provider of an exceptional training and development program by Training Magazine, focuses on both personal and professional growth so that fellow Davida teammates learn how to lead themselves and others with freedom rather than fear and control. While it's not perfect, Davida went from a toxic and fear-based culture that was on the edge of bankruptcy to being a multi-year world blue certified freedom center workplace. Today, DaVita is a $15 billion Fortune 500 publicly traded company. Their 52,000 teammates operate over 2,500 outpatient dialysis centers throughout the US and nearly 240 centers in 11 countries globally caring for almost 2 million patients. Now, did everyone immediately get on the Freedom Center train at Devita? No, because a Freedom Center culture isn't for everyone. But KT did something really smart along the way. He literally had a wooden bridge constructed, and then he invited his fellow teammates to walk across the bridge when they felt truly ready to leave the old, outdated, and dysfunctional command-and-control model and commit to building a thriving, democratic community at DeVita. And slowly but surely, the teammates did cross the bridge, and those who just didn't feel they could buy into a freedom-centered approach left to work elsewhere. I've had the opportunity to cross that very bridge, and let me tell you, it felt really special. It made me feel like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And isn't that what it's really all about? Here's my final point. Freedom at work isn't some utopian kumbaya approach to business. It's a proven system and strategy that delivers real bottom line results. You just heard the Davida example of the bottom line impact of freedom at work, taking a company from bankruptcy to $15 billion in revenue annually but there's more. Through an independent third-party analysis that looked at World Blue certified freedom Center workplaces over a decade and then compared them to the S&P 500, we've been able to show that companies that practice freedom at work have, on average, seven times greater revenue growth over a three-year period than the S&P 500. Let me say that a different way. S&P 500 companies had, on average, 15% revenue growth, while Worldview certified Freedom Center workplaces that practice freedom at work had, on average, 103% revenue growth over the same three-year period. Additionally, the analysis found that Freedom Center companies were much more resilient during challenging economic times than the command-and-control, fear-based organizations. Freedom at work delivers to the bottom line, my friends. So does your workplace struggle with low energy, poor performance, and disengagement? Do you wish your employees would be more authentic and honest at work? Do you hope your employees will figure out how to solve their problems and be leaders without always turning to you? And are you lying in bed awake at night, stressed out about how to attract the best and brightest talent, scale your culture, and still deliver growth? The way to answer all of these problems and more is to address the number one root cause of most culture-based problems, and that's fear. It's about cultivating a freedom-centered rather than fear-based mindset throughout your organization. It's ditching the tired and outdated command-and-control organizational design for the vibrant, adaptable, and scalable design of organizational democracy and it's about leading with freedom rather than fear and control. Freedom at Work is proven to create the optimal environment for success, and it changes the world for the better in the process. Thanks so much for being with me today, and remember to live, lead, and work in freedom. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to today's show on Freedom at Work. If you like what you heard and you're interested in finding out if you're a fit to work with World Blue, here's what I invite you to do next. Head on over to worldblue.com call. That's world and then blue without an E, B-L-U, and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and explore how to help you develop a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, or build a freedom-centered workplace culture. Remember, living, leading, and working in freedom rather than fear in order to unleash your full potential does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We have over 20 years of experience working all over the world with top leaders and brands, from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, helping them achieve results with our proven methods and courses. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to worldblue.com call and book a call with our team now. I'm Tracy Fenton, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.